Knowledge is power, and we are all about empowering the mamas of the world. In each episode, we will unravel and interpret the latest research and evidence-based practices for pregnancy, postpartum, and motherhood. As mums and researchers ourselves, we have experienced firsthand the overwhelming complexity of information, myths, and those classic old wives' tales. I'm Dr. Renee White. And I'm Dr. Mika Petucci. And, and this, this is, is The Science of Motherhood. Of Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Science of Motherhood. This is episode 23. Holy guacamole. I am your co-host, Dr. Renee White, one half of the Mother Lover Biz Fill Your Cup with Dr. Mika Batucci, who is on mat leave still, but we'll be returning to take charge of our Melbourne postpartum doula practice whilst I'm here in Hobart. We have got some very exciting things planned for Fill Your Cup next year that I will let you have a little bit of a sneak peek on. We're going to have some new branding, which is very exciting. It's very grown up for us. We're going to have some new faces, some new doulas in Melbourne, and we are also going to be launching some of our new products. Our first one is going to be our lactation cookie mix. Now we have been making our signature FYC dark chocolate and goji lactation cookies for the mamas of Melbourne all of this year. And they have just been running off the shelves as part of our meal delivery service, as well as our in-home. And we kind of thought it's a bit unfair for all the other mamas in Australia who are missing out on this. So what we've decided to do is make a dry cookie mix, which is going to be super, super easy for you to, I guess, all you have to do is dump it into a bowl, add some coconut oil and some eggs, mix it all together and bang it in the oven. And you will have some fresh, beautiful, nourishing lactation cookies at home. So we'll be launching that product early 2022. We're really, really excited about that. That is going to be the first of a few in our FYC product range. But stop rambling, Renee, because we have none other than Dr. Natasha Vavrek. We are continuing on with our Tassie theme this week. Dr. Natasha is born and raised in Launceston, so that's North Tasmania. She is the clinical director at The Bubble, which is a beautiful GP clinic which focuses on women's health. So everything about fertility and pregnancy, um, pregnancy loss, mental health. They've even begun a collaboration and have pelvic physiotherapists integrated with the practice. It has just, they come at it with all angles. They're so holistic. And the thing that really caught my eye with Natasha is the fact that she is a Possum's accredited practitioner she is one of two practitioners in Tasmania. And for all those playing at home, you guys will know that I and Mika are huge advocates of the Possums program. We previously had Dr. Pamela Douglas on the podcast. She's the director and founder of Possums. Check out that episode. I think it's like episode 13 maybe, but don't quote me on that. But Natasha, she has studied a Bachelor of Medical Science and then completed a Bachelor of Medicine and Surgery at the University of Tasmania. She graduated with honours in 2009. And then after completing her internship and residency at the Launceston General Hospital, she went on to achieve fellowship with the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners and a bit of a smarty pants, our Natasha. She was also awarded the RAC GP Tasmanian Examination Medal in 2013. As I said, she specialises in reproductive and sexual health. And we talk about all things to do with pregnancy, contraception, fertility, diets, blood tests, things like, you know, what are the things that 
women need to be thinking about prior to pregnancy, during pregnancy, post-pregnancy. And Natasha walks us through what the standard kind of offerings that they have at at the bubble. And, you know, it's a really beautiful discussion with Natasha. I love the fact that one of my favourite parts of the interview was her describing what they actually talk to women about at that six-week post-baby meeting. I think there is a lot of women out there who, you know, get maybe a 10, 15-minute consult with a GP at that six-week check. And, you know, I've heard from a lot of people where it's simply, okay, you know, let's just have a look at your cesarean section cut yep, that's great. Or let's just check out whether um, your tear is healing or your episiotomy is healing. Yep, that's great. And then you're on your way. Natasha and the other practitioners at the bubble are (laughs) completely at the other end of the spectrum. I can't wait for you to listen to the beautiful services that they offer. And this woman and the people that she works with are clearly very smart cookies. They not only are highly educated in this area, but they are also very, very caring. And that is what we need for our mothers, particularly during pregnancy and even more so postpartum. And I guess that's what feeds into her real passion and understanding around um, the Possums program and, and how women can not just survive, but thrive in that postpartum. So without further ado, here is Dr. Natasha Vavrek. Hello and welcome to the podcast, Dr. Natasha Vavrek from the bubble in Lonnie. How are you? Hi, I'm really well. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. (gasps) Now, it has been a while to get you onto this podcast because you, my friend, are one of the busiest women I know. (laughs) And reading your bio, I was like... Guacamole, this woman's CV has just like, I'm like, okay, yep, yep. Oh, wow. And she's done that. Yep. Okay, cool. And I think one of the things that really drew me to you was the fact that you are the director and I guess founder of the Bubble Clinic in Launceston, Tasmania. And you're also one of, is it one or two? possums accredited practitioners here in Tassie as well which everyone knows if you're a long-time listener fill your cup we are huge advocates of Pamela Douglas um's program and so I was like we need to get this lady on the podcast because the fact that you bring together that women's health GP fertility pregnancy and then you kind of mash that all in with the possums program I'm like this is like a match made in heaven I love it so much (laughs) um so today we're going to talk about how you guys approach fertility pregnancy in the clinic at the bubble and I guess let's start at the beginning so if someone comes in and you know is looking for discussion around pregnancy preparation I'm sure you get like all different stages of that spectrum. You get the hardcore preppers who are like, I'm going to do metal detoxes. P.S. Mika, I'm talking about you. <laughs> and then you get all the, you know, everyone else and all the way down to the end of, holy shit, I'm pregnant. I've done nothing. Now what do I do? So can you walk us through, do you guys have like a checklist or, you know, standard recommendations that you offer women before they fall pregnant? Yeah, so I guess the first thing is we we highly recommend that women go and speak to their GP or speak to a doctor that is interested in this area. Um, and at the bubble, we make sure that we have a nice long appointment to discuss everything because believe it or not there's so much to go through and every woman is different every couple is different and so we really like to get to know the couple and and talk them through that so yeah you're right we do have different stages of preparation we have women who will uh, attend you know over 12 months before they're planning to try to conceive and they've pretty much done everything already uh, all the way to women that are I'm thinking of trying to conceive in the next month to women that are, I'm already trying. But we just appreciate women coming in before they fall pregnant because 
if, once they do come in pre pregnant and we, if there are any issues, then that can sometimes be a problem. So essentially the first question that we, we want to know is when would you like to start trying to conceive? you know, because that makes a difference. If you're not thinking about doing that for another year or two, then, you know, we may need to do some blood tests a bit closer to that time. But if it's in the next six months, then we can start now. It's really important to know about any previous pregnancies. So previous, previous pregnancies for the woman and if they're in a heterosexual relationship, any pregnancies for the male partner in the past because that is important to know. And then we get into the nitty-gritty of periods and every woman has a, a different cycle. And so it's we ask a lot of detailed questions about that to, to gather whether they might be ovulating or not, um, because if there is an issue there where they may not be ovulating, period cycles are quite long, then we need to look into that a little further uh, and, and, uh, and then deal with that. So that's a really, really big one. And hopefully they've got a, a normal 28-day cycle or close enough to that and you can confidently say they probably are ovulating. So, uh, and then uh, and then we'll move on to contraception and, and what are you taking? You know, are you on the pill? Do you have an IUD in? Does that need to be removed? An Implanon, does that need to be removed? So, and a lot of women uh, want to know when they should stop their contraception. So do I need to stop the pill a week before I start trying, three months beforehand or 12 months? And I, and I guess with that, you know, with the contraception, it's basically look, once you start stop it, there's always that chance that you could fall pregnant immediately. So if you're not ready for that to happen, you need to think about using barrier protection like condoms. Mm -hmm. But if you don't mind, then you can get straight onto it. Um, obviously, with an IUD, then we need to arrange to get that removed. And that can generally be done at that appointment or later on. So that's obviously a huge thing. What's the standard? Sorry. So I'm, I'm just thinking like, in terms of proportion of women on contraceptives, you know, IUDs versus just the pill, I think I had in my head that I was on the pill for a very long time, that it takes about three months for your body to kind of regulate and, and quote unquote, get off the pill and have those hormones regulating. Is there like a standard time period where you're like, okay, yes, three months is like when you could kind of like, is like the ideal time? Is there an ideal time? I don't know. Look, I think it depends on the person. Yeah, in terms of the pill, I usually say it could take three months for your periods to get back on track and yeah. everything to, you know, sort itself out. But in reality, you know, a woman could fall pregnant, you know, as soon as they stop the pill if they happen to ovulate immediately. But usually for most women, it's about three months, sometimes up to six months. So I'm always giving them that that idea. For women who have had the depo injection, so it's an injection that you can get every 12 weeks as a contraceptive, the delay in fertility can be a little longer with that one and, in, a, in fact, can be up to 18 months with the depo injection. What is the so, depo injection? I don't think I've heard of that. Yeah, okay, so it's a progesterone injection that women get every 12 weeks and it works really well as a contraceptive it quite often does uh, stop periods for women. So it is a great option for some women because they don't have to remember to take a tablet every day, mm -hmm. but then you do have to remember to see your doctor or practice nurse for that injection every 12 weeks. Mm -hmm. So it is a lovely option. However, for women between the age of 25 and 30, I do start to talk to them about potentially switching to a different contraceptive simply because that's about the age that women are starting to think about wanting to have a child. And when you start to try to conceive, you want it to happen then and there. And, and you know, if you then have to wait, you know, because of, you know, years of the depot injection, then, you know, that, that gets frustrating. So I start that conversation early on. For women that are wanting children, I would never commence uh, the depot injection, you know, close to the age of 30 because... Uh, then that also creates issues. So it's, it's, it is a wonderful contraceptive um, and we do have some women that um, are on it. In terms of the most popular contraceptive, that is an IUD. Okay. Hands down, the most popular um, contraceptive that is prescribed here at the bubble. I've been inserting IUDs for almost eight years now and, it, and over the last three or four years it's become increasingly popular. Lots of uh, teenage girls getting it, getting them inserted. There's a March last year a newer IUD was released onto the market in Australia, uh, the mini IUD, and it's a, it's a smaller design with less hormone in it and so 
you know, easier to insert for women who haven't had children and, and our younger population. So that's really popular. You know, they don't have to remember to take a tablet every day. It just goes in there. You forget about it for five years. It's really reliable, easy to take out, and fertility returns back to normal immediately. So with the IUD, you do continue to ovulate, so release an egg every month. So once that IUD comes out, if you happen to be ovulating the next day and you're, you have intercourse, you could fall pregnant immediately. So it's, it's a lovely option for women that are preparing for a family in the future. Yeah, wow. Okay, that's very interesting because I think, you know, back in the day, <laughs> my day, <laughs> you know, people were, you know, girls were being prescribed the pill because of skin issues, you know, hair growth, things like that. Is that a similar thing with the IUD? Does that kind of assist in correcting those things as well? Is it having the same or similar effect as, as the pill? So the pill is fantastic for control of acne for women who have or girls that have hormonal acne. So for, you know, someone that does come in with those symptoms and would like to control them, then we will look at the um, oral contraceptive pill. For women that don't, for women who may like a, a less hormone approach than, than the pill, then the IUD is great. So IUD is fantastic for controlling periods, heavy menstrual bleeding, period pain, Quite often it does stop your periods. Mm -hmm. So a lot of women like the idea of that. And so for those women, then we'd probably go down the IUD path. But yeah, everyone is different. So we discuss all options. There is no bad contraceptive out there. I think as long as you're using something, then it's good. But we talk about all the risks and the side effects with them because the pill does have a few extra risks, such as blood clotting. Although that risk is very small, it is there. So, and with the IUD, the hormone is released locally within the uterus. So we don't get a systemic uptake of that hormone. So it's not doing anything to your hormones. It's not stopping you from ovulating. So women like that idea that their body's still going to do what it's meant, meant to, to do every month, but it's simply in there stopping sperm from getting through and uh, and thinning out the lining of the uterus. So And when that happens, you're less likely to get a period or if you do it's quite light okay that's fascinating because yeah. yeah I haven't I haven't done a lot of research because you know all I was offered was the pill <laughs> yeah. and then you know took that for quite some time and I actually haven't gone back on any contraceptive for myself you know we obviously yeah. practice safe sex with other methods but yeah it's very interesting because I think I was just like my body has just been take like have all these hormones in them all the time. And I was just like, I just need to have a rest. That's really, really fascinating. I want to talk about blood tests. So prior Mm. to pregnancy, because we are very big kind of advocates on making sure that all your micronutrients, pretty stable because going into pregnancy, we all know that you become quite depleted because of our lovely little (laughs) life-sucking children that we are incubating for those nine to 10 months. What are the types of things that you would be looking for in a blood test prior to someone conceiving? And, you know, can you walk us through some of maybe the more common things that would kind of crop up, like let's say iron or vitamin D or something like that. And then how would how would they go about kind of making sure that that balance is is back on track before conceiving? Mm. So, yeah, you're right. There are a lot of um, things that become deplete in pregnancy. Um, and you mentioned one of those, iron. So iron is a huge thing. I mean, it's almost a given that women's iron levels will drop throughout pregnancy. So I do like to check that before um, a woman uh, falls pregnant. And we also do check that throughout pregnancy regularly. And and if something like iron is extremely low and, and they're in a, a quite a deficit with anemia, then we would talk to them about potentially having an iron infusion, which is quick and easy and can be done through GPs. Or if it's not that bad, talking about iron supplements and obviously an iron-rich diet and how to implement that. For women who are vegetarians, this can be a big issue and particularly vegans. So I do like to find out women's diets and, and if they are a vegan, then we're also going to be looking into vitamin B12 as well because that is really um, important. And if that is quite low, then vitamin B12 injections uh, are quite uh, efficient at increasing that level. 
Um, of course, we look at, you know, the full blood count to ensure there aren't any issues. There are people with histories of thalassemia, so it's important to look at a full blood count in order to diagnose that prior to falling pregnant, ideally. With women that may be at risk of gestational diabetes, so they may be obese or family history of diabetes, then we're going to be checking their sugar levels. Uh, and then when they are pregnant, checking, um, to probably doing the glucose tolerance test quite early on after finding out they're pregnant. And then obviously we have women who are already diabetic. So trying to get a, a good tight control on their diabetes is so, so important. Other tests that are really vital to check before falling pregnant is a rubella and varicella status. So varicella being chickenpox. So we like to see that women are immune to rubella and chickenpox prior to falling pregnant, because if they're not immune, then we do recommend um, a booster vaccination to boost that up. Because even though getting uh, rubella or chickenpox as an adult may not be too big a deal. I mean, yes, a lot of people do get quite sick with it, but if you get it while you're pregnant, then that can be passed on to the fetus and that can cause quite severe disabilities for the fetus. So it's something that can be easily fixed. And a lot of women do have low levels of rubella immunity or none at all. And a lot of people do come in saying, oh yeah, I had chickenpox as a child, but unfortunately they didn't build up enough of immunity to be immune to it. So they will then need those vaccinations before falling pregnant. Mm -hmm. So they're an absolute must. And STI screening is really important too. If we can pick up a chlamydia diagnosis before pregnancy, then we can treat that really easily. And there's nothing worse than doing those initial blood tests uh, for a new pregnancy and then telling the mother that she has chlamydia. <laughs> That's always an awkward uh, yeah. conversation <laughs> and one that we try to avoid. So definitely doing a basic STI screen is, is, is a good idea for everyone if they haven't done that. So they're kind of the basics that we would look at. We'd probably be looking at also, you know, thyroid function tests and vitamin D you mentioned, particularly here in Tassie. I think everybody is vitamin D deficient to some degree. I do recommend my patients, you know, everyone take vitamin D from March to October um, in correlation with daylight savings to ensure that, you know, you've always got this good vitamin D level. And in pregnancy, it is important to have a high level. So, and we don't want to be sending people out to bake in the sun for obvious reasons. <laughs> Sometimes it's really hard here in Tassie <laughs> to bake in oh, the yeah. sun here. <laughs> I, I did pop my vitamin D tablet this morning. I, um, I was like, yes, I need to have that, even though we are heading into summer, but I'm spending a lot of time indoors doing a lot of computer work. So I thought, no, I'm going to, I'm going to get onto that. Is there any stage where the partner is also tested for anything or is that only if something kind of, um, is flagged during your discussions with the couple? Yeah, so if a couple books, if, if a, uh, usually it's the female that books in for the fertility consult and um, their partners are always invited to join them if, if they want. And so if I do have a partner in, I will talk to them and, you know, try and include them in the conversation because it does take two to tango. And we want to ensure that a male has healthy sperm, those stud sperm that are going to get up there. Um, so I do, I think it's a good opportunity to talk about general health with them. And, and certainly if they've never had any blood tests, then, you know, and they usually are interested in finding out things. So we'll, we'll do some bloods on them just to make them feel included. But yeah, STI screening for them as well. You know, it doesn't hurt to check iron levels, sugar levels, uh, and, and all of those kinds of things. For males, I guess the main thing that, you know, they come in wondering if they need to do is a semen analysis. Mm -hmm. But for pregnancy planning, we don't necessarily, we don't need that. Initially, we like to wait and see if they can fall pregnant naturally. And then if the couple is still having issues between six and 12 months, depending on their the age, then we would invite the male partner to have a semen analysis done. Okay. And why not? Get, get, get them to have a blood test. I mean, uh, us women get poked and prodded for like how long? <laughs> exactly. I do like to tease the male partners and, and tell them that they will be getting a swab up <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that go down really well. <laughs> so I guess shifting gears a bit. So we've spoken about, you know, the micronutrients that we're going to be testing and things like that. Let's channel that into food. So like real life kind of tangible stuff. We're huge fans of Lily Nichols, the dietitian and nutritionist who has a huge focus on pregnancy and postpartum. And her book, Real Food for Pregnancy, 
I guess, highlights flaws in the current Australian guidelines around, you know, what women, pregnant women, should be fueling their body with. And still to this day, you know, current guidelines continue to recommend things like low-fat milk, high carbs Mm -hmm. and moderate amounts of protein. We had her on the podcast earlier in the year and, you know, she just completely turns that on on the head. What are your thoughts? Do you have particular recommendations around, you know, diets and things like that? And I hate to use the word diet because it's got Mm. such a negative connotation, but the food that women should be consuming once they fall pregnant to ensure Mm. a really positive pregnancy, both for their baby and themselves. Look, you know, and and by by no means I'm not a a dietitian, so my advice is fairly limited. And if if there is somebody that needs that extra education, then I have a few dietitians uh, locally that I refer to. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, I just do the basics and to ask, you know, talk to them about, you know, are they having, you know, lots of fresh fruit and veg in their diet, meats, seafood, that kind of thing. And, And talking to them about reducing alcohol, you know, coffee is okay, but not too much of it. Um, so I'm just doing the absolute basics and, and talking to them about, you know, reducing takeaway meals, more home-cooked meals, everything in moderation. Mm-hmm. And then anyone looking for something a bit more specific, then I'm referring them on to a dietitian. I guess most women, uh, well, I mean, the women that have the most questions are women diagnosed with gestational diabetes. Yeah. But they are usually in with a dietitian pretty quickly and a diabetes educator and educated on how to manage their sugar levels through um, appropriate food intake. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. And so... But I'll have to have a listen to Lily's um, podcast with you because that sounds really interesting. Yeah, it was. And I I actually didn't, I didn't get to read her book till, you know, after I was pregnant. And she also has a book dedicated to the gestational diabetes as well. And, again, it, like, she's just like... The research is there, people, like, you know, high protein because – and we've worked with mamas before who have been diagnosed with GD and it's been really challenging for them to kind of – through pregnancy to sustain, you know – just everyday life because like I'm starving but the food that I've been told to eat is just not fueling me during the day mm-hmm. and you know we've recommended to read Lily's book and as soon as they've flicked over and started some of her meal plans their blood sugar has been great and they just yeah. get that you know satiety of like the high fat and you know they feel fuller and they can actually mm-hmm. do something there's there is nothing worse than a hungry pregnant woman. <laughs> like <laughs> there's just, I mean, I still remember venturing out to the shops one day. I didn't even make it to the car. I was ripping food open as I was carrying the grocery bags and just like hoovering food into my head because I was just like, oh, my God, I'm just so starving. If I do not eat something right now, I'm going to faint. So, yes, I think you're absolutely right. People need to see a particular person who specialises in that to get the, the right recommendations for that. So, okay, so we've talked about pregnancy. Let's talk about postpartum, Natasha. After they've had the baby, what's the process? So I think there's a lot of commentary out there around the fact that, you know, throughout that nine or ten months we get so many visits to a midwife or to an obstetrician or your GP or whatever the concept is. So many visits, so many visits. And then as soon as that baby comes out and you cut that umbilical cord, it feels like we fall off the edge of a cliff in terms of care. What are some of the things that you and the other practitioners at The Bubble offer for women in postpartum in terms of physical recovery, mental recovery? And also I'm keen to understand, you know, at that six-week checkup, do you guys do a standard blood test? Because that is something that when we're working with our mamas in in in-home care, we highly encourage that because, again, 
you're so depleted, you need to make sure that after that baby's out, you need to start getting on with the iron and, and take continuing to take those supplements as well, proper supplements, not just like, you know, dodgy ones that don't actually have half the stuff that you think are in them. Don't let me start on that rant. So yeah, can you walk us through some of the things that you guys offer and and your recommendations for postpartum? Because I just don't feel like there's enough information out there for women. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we, um, we do a lot of uh, GP shared care here at, um, at the bubble. So caring for women throughout their pregnancy. And so we do a lot of prep in that, in that build up uh, in terms of, you know, letting them know who their supports are on the other side, because you're right. As soon as it's, as soon as the baby comes out, a lot of women feel that they are very alone and they don't know where the supports are or who the supports are. And unfortunately there, there isn't that much support Mm. out there. So we start that conversation, but then obviously we do get a lot of women that just come in at that six-week check and may have had some struggles in that first six weeks. But we do try to get word out there that, you know, as soon as that baby is born, if you are having any issues breastfeeding, any issues with, you know, bub being irritable, you yourself are suffering in terms of your own mental health or your partner may be worried about you, then you need to call us and come in and see us. So we offer 60 to 90 minute appointments where we can sit down with the family and and talk through everything all the way from breastfeeding management to maternal mental health. And if it is a, you know, if we're thinking there may be an issue with depression or anxiety, then we have an on-site accredited mental health social worker who specialises in perinatal and postnatal mental health. So we're very lucky in, in that regard. In, um, in terms of the sleep and the cry-fuss behaviours, well, then uh, Georgia, the, our other NDC practitioner and myself, will um, we'll see them for one of those detailed possums approach consults where we can talk through um, how to manage these problems. Otherwise, we see a woman at six weeks and at that six-week check, we want to know everything about the pregnancy if we haven't met them before we want to know everything about their delivery and I think that's a really important part of the six-week check is having a woman debrief about their delivery and you know we can spend a good 15 you know minutes talking about that I see a lot of women that go through a lot of birth trauma and I think that is exacerbated when they don't get that chance to debrief and it's really important to have somebody that is going to listen and validate their feelings and what they went through. So I just find that the most important part of the six-week check and and hopefully they've had a really wonderful experience, but unfortunately for some women they don't. And particularly if there's been an emergency-type situation, I like to go through that and how they're feeling about that and um, and help them process that. And in some cases they do need extra help by seeing our social worker, but it's important to get on top of that early on. Otherwise, it stays there. And then when they're planning for their next pregnancy, if they do, then that's when a lot of those feelings start coming back and we start to see, um, you know, PTSD and and women that are reluctant to have another pregnancy because they don't want to go through the trauma they initially went through. So mental health is a huge thing and talking is a huge thing. But also we're interested. And in that six-week check, we go through everything from your boobs to your vulva to everything, you know, how, you know, how are you healing from your episiotomy or your tear and and working our way through all of that. In a lot of women do lose a lot of blood and hemorrhage during delivery. So, you know, coming to your question of do we do routine bloods? Well, for a woman that, you know, there is that risk that her iron has dropped significantly, then we're definitely doing, you know, full blood count and iron check because it's really important to have a good amount of iron particularly when you're in that fourth trimester, you're breastfeeding and, you know, so much energy is going to that. Last thing you want is an iron deficiency. You're you're tired enough (laughs) without the iron deficiency. That's right. So we try to correct the iron deficiency throughout the pregnancy if we can, but if we don't have that opportunity, then it happens postpartum. And, uh, you know, and checking things from, you know, sugars if a woman has had gestational diabetes to thyroid function tests if they've had um, been on thyroxine during the pregnancy. Um, so, yeah, bloods, I, I individualise them to women and uh, rather than doing just a one-size-fits-all. So we work through that. But, you know, most importantly, talking to them about, you know, ensuring that they're eating because it can be very easy to forget 
to have regular meals and and that's where I like a partner to come into the consult so I can tell them that okay mum needs regular meals she needs her drink bottle filled with water at all times and she needs back rubs and foot rubs and all of that so or she just um, needs a postpartum doula like us yeah. oh, <laughs> oh, yes absolutely <laughs> um so it you know we we do cover a wide range of things uh for the mother and, and obviously a big conversation is contraception and I, you know, I hate to ask women so early on in the piece, but it is important to know, and that is, are you planning on another baby anytime soon? Um, because then that can guide us in terms of what kind of contraception they might like and whether that's contraception for the woman or is it organising a vasectomy for the for them if they have a male partner. So lots of things to, um, to uh, unpack. Um, and then obviously baby, we... Um, we check the baby head to toe, lots of cuddles. I do spend a lot of time just looking at a baby and wasting a lot of time, but it's easy to do because it's so cute and I can't help myself. So and they I'm smell so delicious as well. It's oh, just like, oh. They do. they do. My receptionists are always teasing me because I'm just quick in the waiting room to steal a baby. <laughs> it is the best part of the job. It really is. So, you know, at that six-week check. And then if we find that there are some issues in that six-week check that such as they need a bit more breastfeeding help or they are struggling with, you know, the whole newborn experience, then we'll probably book them in for another appointment to do a a mums and barbs um, appointment to go through those possums principles and talk to them about sleep and what is normal and, you know, try and... um, you know, uh, get them to enjoy that experience. I think a lot of women get really obsessed with routines and I must do it this way, I must do that. I'm a bad mum if I give a dummy. I'm a bad mum if I introduce a bottle. Um, and there's so much guilt. And and once again, that leads to the whole um, anxiety, depression that women can experience. So, I, you know, I, I, I love to just inform women and, and tell them that you just do what feels right you I mean you're the mum you're doing a great job and um, we don't need all these pressures so that is lovely and a lot of women will book in for that mums and bubs appointment even if they don't have any issues just as an education session oh absolutely it it kind of you know we have I, I love the fact that you guys are just so holistic. You know, it's not just a come in, oh, yeah, okay, your tear or your episiotomy or your, you know, C-section, you know, cut. Yep, great, okay, you're fine, see you later, goodbye. Because that is in itself what a lot of women experience at a six-week, mm-hmm. you know, checkup. And the fact that you guys are coming at all different angles and, looking at, you know, mental health, emotional, physical, getting the partners involved, any opportunity where you can say to them, she needs five meals a day and like three (laughs) litres of water, um, you know, I think is really, really fantastic. I I love everything about the bubble. Like I'm just so excited to be in Tassie (laughs) and seeing this all kind of unfold um, at your practice. I just wanted to shift gears a little bit. When I was reading your bio, something kind of sparked my interest. You are the president, and I'm going to butcher this, of the Seroptimist, is that right? Seroptimist International Launceston. Can you explain to the listeners what is this organisation and why why does it mean so much to you? I'm very keen to understand a bit more about uh-huh. you, Natasha. <laughs> so the Seroptimus Club is just something that is so near and dear to me and it's my opportunity to volunteer and do something for our community and to give back. As you know, I'm just so passionate about women. I'm, I'm passionate about educating women and empowering women and Seroptimus International gives me an opportunity to do that for women locally, but also nationally and internationally. So Seroptimus International is a worldwide organisation. We are a service group like Rotary and Lions, but we are a service group that is a group of professional women around the world. And we focus our efforts on exactly that, empowering, educating and supporting women in need in our local communities and abroad. 
So I've been in the club for about six years now. I actually received a Soroptimist International Scholarship when I was in third third year uni, I think, and 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 actually at that time met the Launceston group, and then. Fast forward many years later, I um, I then joined the group. So, and, and they're a lovely group of women, and I've been lucky enough to be their president. I'm almost at the end of my two-year term, but it's lovely. We are we have lots of fundraisers. We raise an incredible amount of money, and we give back to local women's shelters. Um, and all kinds of things. We've got a project at the moment that we're working on to support some of the um, premature babies in terms of a gift pack for them at the um, special care nursery at the LGH. Uh, we are involved, we get we get political, we've been um, involved with White Ribbon in, in you know, promoting um, awareness of uh, abuse. So it, it, it's a lovely group and, um, and I think in the next 12 months, yeah, not next year, but the year after, I'll be lucky enough to be the um, region president, so president of Tasmania. So oh, wow. I'm really excited. Yeah, I'm really excited to bring some more publicity to the group and um, just build up a membership uh, here in Tassie. There are six clubs around the state. It's just a lovely way to give back and lots of fun. Great to connect with women from other professions and uh, it's lovely. You should check out the Hobart chapter. I, I am. It's it's on my to-do list. And I think the thing that kind of gave me goosebumps about it was the fact that, you know, you've got two girls. I've got a daughter. Mick has got a daughter. She now has a son as well. But I guess, you know, bringing up daughters in this world, I think it's, you know, we can preach about what we want. But at the end of the day, we have to be the role models that we want to kind of you know, encapsulate for our our children, our daughters, you know, this is this is how we want the world to be. And I I really loved that part about your bio when I was reading about that. I thought it was really, really beautiful. Okay, we're gonna finish off with some rapid fire. <laughs> I'll just go get Eddie Maguire. No, I'm just kidding. Um so I, it's three questions. Mm-hmm. What what is your top tip for birthing mothers? tip for birthing mothers okay don't have a plan oh (laughs) or have a very loose plan okay I think um, if you go in with a plan it quite often you you it's very hard to stick to that plan because things happen and you may get disappointed uh and so I think a loose plan is okay but nothing hard and in concrete I think you need to expect anything and you do need to trust the professionals to a certain degree but, uh, you know, um, also, oh, the other one is uh, that goes with that, if I'm allowed, is yep. um, having have your partner know what you want so, okay. um, so that they can um, speak up for you because you're quite vulnerable in that stage and if there was something that you, you know, might want to get across, you may not be feel that you can. So often that's where um, partners can come in and advocate for you. But understanding that um, sometimes things do happen and... As long as baby gets here safely, that's the most important thing. Yeah, uh, I love that. Um, having that discussion with your partner, I think, is a huge thing. We talk about that in our prenatal mm-hmm. sessions with our mummers. And, you know, I always look to the partner. I'm like, you are the gatekeeper, okay? You are the gatekeeper and the voice because once you get in that zone during labour, it's like, you know, you need that sacred kind of fence around you and you're right. They need to know what your wants and wishes are so they can chime in when they need to chime in. I love it. Absolutely. I had my own experience with that and, you know, even being a doctor and someone that works in this space, I had... Uh, you know, an idea of what I did want. Um, but then when I went into hospital, I was trying to be, convi- you know, um, some staff tried to convince me otherwise. And so I started to doubt myself. Uh. And it was my husband that said, hey, this is what you've wanted for so long. And luckily I had an obstetrician who also um, was able to reason with me. So that was fantastic. So yeah. I, I thank my husband so much for that. Yeah. Um, what's your go-to resource, whether it be a book or a workshop or something like that for birthing mothers? Do you have anything like a favorite book or something? I do. I have a book if I'm allowed to. Yeah, go for it. Which you will know this book. Ah, yes. 
work. Yes, that is, that's Pam bonus Allen. points, Natasha, bonus points. <laughs> yes. So Pam is my hero. We just absolutely love her. We've actually just organised to stock her book here in the, in the clinic. Um, and if you're going to read any book, this is it because it is all evidence-based. It is not going to make you feel guilty as a mum. It's, there's, it's, you know, an Australian author, so it's all relevant. Um, and I think this is what will make you a happy, relaxed mother. Yeah. So, so for I, those I who are book. just listening, who can't see, it's the little, it's oh. the, it's the discontented little baby book by Dr. Pamela Douglas, who you've all heard me bang on about. She's from Possums. She is a guru. I love that woman <laughs> so much. We're having yeah. her back on the podcast next year um, for part two. Yeah. Because, oh my God, once we started talking, I was like, Pam, we, we're not going to mm. get through all of this. And she's like, yeah, yeah, no, we're not. So yeah, we've paused. Um, and we're having her back on next year to kind of, um, bookend that discussion, but yeah, huge, like that, book is life-changing it's pretty much just like forget all the shoulds and should nots forget the mum guilt forget the you know what what aunt betty's telling you to do Mm -hmm. um and it and the one thing that i really love is the focus on just enjoying motherhood you know absolutely just go like try like you would have to try really hard to just kind of break that cycle and and break that conception of kind of routine and things like that but it is about focusing on the mother I find and Mm -hmm. just kind of going with it and just as as Pam always keeps saying just experiment just experiment I love that and that's what I say to my you know mums and dads in here just experiment it's an all an experiment and you've got to figure out what works for you and you may Take some information from me. You may take some information from your midwife, from your doula, from whoever it is, and you you make it work for you. You make your own little potion and and that works for you. There's no right or wrong way. Mm. And and you want to enjoy it. And and I find so many parents that don't enjoy it and get overly anxious. And and they really have a they really they say to me, I, I feel bad because I'm not enjoying this time and I should be. Um so you know, that's why I just love what possums has to offer uh, and and we all just need to relax a little bit and yes um, there are some books out there that need to just be burnt like save our sleep and (laughs) (laughs) yes yeah we um there is a a particular uh doula in our circle who um when she sees it like secondhand book stores or things like that any of those red yeah. flag books she actually buys them and bins them yeah. <laughs> Which, I know so many people shout out that, to yes. uh shout out to Steph postpartum with Steph um Steph O'Brien in um Victoria yeah, but that. high five to you sister because yeah. <laughs> I'm just Hashtag like everyday hero honestly yeah. hands down to her that's what we should all be doing <laughs> yeah <laughs> or I think um I've I've heard other things like um they've seen it they've gone to their friend's house or something this is a friend of a friend who did this they went to their friend's house they saw the book on the bookshelf and then they went and hid it somewhere in the house <laughs> which I was like yes 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 I love it I love it um our final question which we ask all of our guests what do you keep on your bedside table books <laughs> Okay. Books. I have lots of books on my bedside table. Are you reading um, all of them or are you a one book at a time kind of gal? No, I'm one book at a time um, and I go through moments where I may, um, you know, absolutely, um, you know, uh, indulge in one book and, and get it finished within, you know, a couple of weeks and then um, sometimes it's a little slower so it might be a chapter each night Um uh, at the moment, I'm incredibly busy, so it, it has been a bit hard to focus on reading those books. But I know once Christmas holidays are here, um, I will then go through, you know, most of that pile yep. in, in just a couple of weeks. But, yes, books, I'm, I'm obsessed with books. I, I, I'm not a Kindle person. Oh, I love the smell of books. I love yes. to hold a book. I love to collect books. Um, education is everything. And I like trashy novels. I like educational <laughs> books. I, yeah. <laughs> 
a lot. Yeah, I've tried the Kindle. I really, I really, really tried because I thought, oh, this would be such a good idea. And then I was like, no, I like the, I like the texture. As you say, you know, you love the smell of it. Um, do you have a favorite book? I, I'm keen because I've just finished The Great okay. Alone, which was one of the most spectacular books I've ever read. It was very full on. But I'm looking for a new book to sink into over the Christmas holidays. Oh, gosh, yeah, I've read quite a few. I just um, I might have to send you a list. I can't think of anything off the top of my head that I've absolutely loved. Oh, there was, um, oh, now I can't even remember. You put me on the spot. <laughs> Sorry. Um, there's one, the author is Bree Lee, um, the oh, um, something to do with skeleton. Really, it's a book about the legal system and um, sexual abuse in Australia. Oh, um, yes, yes. My friend has recommended that to me as well, but she said you really yes. need to be in the right head space to be reading it. You do. It's very heavy, but it was um, it was eye-opening. And for someone who's from a, the medical side of things, you know, we see the medical side of sexual abuse, Yeah. but to read about the legal system, I just found that incredibly insightful and uh and, and it gave me that whole other layer of understanding. Gotcha. You know, that, that's all things. Yeah, so um, that's probably a good one to read, but when you've got the headspace yeah, for head it. headspace for it. I probably need mm. something lighter for the Christmas <laughs> Christmas crazy season. Well, <laughs> Natasha. Oh, yeah, in that case, Jessica Simpson autobiography. Oh, and, I, um, have you actually on that, this is going real trashy, have you, I listened to the podcast, oh, God, where um, – I've completely forgot what it's called now. Um, something like, oh, I don't think, like things you don't know or something like that. Uh, anyways. Oh, you're wrong about. You're, you're wrong, wrong about. about. That's right. Yes. Have you listened to the podcast so, on that? Love it. Obsessed with it. I, yeah, the Jessica Simpson yes. series was amazing. Princess Diana. I was horrified. Um, OJ, OJ oh. series, yeah. I love it. I love it. We should, we probably shouldn't be, you know, spooking other people's podcasts on my podcast, but that's okay. Completely different genre. But yes, go go and listen to the Jessica Simpson one. You will be horrified. And I think she's dodged a bullet. She would have definitely yeah. have been the next Britney. Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. Anyways, you know, something like that whole, you know, just women and yes. you know, just topics of women, you know, I, I love and and how you know, it's still not an equal world, unfortunately, and uh, but we're doing things to, to better that. We are. We are. Natasha, it has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you this morning. Thank you so much for your time. Um, I'm so looking forward to what you guys have install next for the bubble because I know that you've kind of, you know, got some new collaborations and things like that on board and, um I don't think this will be our one and only podcast together. I'm very keen to hear about more exciting things with you, but I hope you have a fantastic Christmas. I hope you get time to read all those books and have some downtime with your family. So, um, yes, thank you again. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Renee. Okay, thanks. Bye. If you loved this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a review. If you know someone out there who would also love to listen to this episode, please hit the share button so they can benefit from it as well. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. If you would like to contact us, we are at ifillyourcup.com or you can DM us at ifillyourcup underscore via Instagram. You can find all of our services including our postpartum in-home care and our fill your freezer meal delivery service as well through both those channels. Thanks so much for listening.